Hey, Nath. How you doing? Hello, Trev, mate. I'm all right, bro. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. Hello, everyone. If you've returned to listen to more We Need to Talk About Movies podcast, and today we need to talk about Uncut Gems, 2019 film by the Safdie brothers, Josh and Benny, and starring Adam Sandler. There will be spoilers, but we will save them for the end. We'll have a spoiler discussion at the end of the conversation. And also at the end, we'll have a look through some of the comments you left on last week's podcast. So if any of you want to leave any comments again here or answer any questions that we may raise through this episode, then please do. And we will discuss them in the next podcast. But we'll get into that in a bit. First of all, just a bit of a chat. How's it going, Nathan? You all right? Yeah. Yeah. All well, good, mate. Keeping busy, keeping out of trouble. Watched any films this week? Um, not other than uh, Uncut Gems, if I'm honest. I watched uh, Misery. Have you ever seen that? Based on a Stephen King book. I haven't seen it, but I believe that's that's the one where um, he's a writer and she's sort of she's looking after him. Does she smash his ankles up? Is that the one? Am I thinking of the right one? That's the one. Yeah, Kathy Bates. I've got to be honest. It's not really a genre that i steer into that much but that's uh I, i'm aware of it i've heard people speak of it before it's a good one yeah it's a good it's more of a thriller than a horror yep that doesn't sound so bad it's also the very first stephen king book i ever read as well i read a lot of his books and uh, it is a great one it's not as long as the others really well written um but then all you know most of king's books are re- really well written but they don't always sort of a translate over onto film in the same in the same way. And actually I think some of the better Stephen King films aren't his horror films, like Shawshank Redemption. Yes. Uh, yeah. Stand by Me, two great films. Shawshank Redemption is an amazing film. In actual fact, I haven't seen that in a long time. I need to witness Andy Dufresne once more. Then there's obviously The Shining was a good one. Yeah. There's a question. There you go, listeners. Favourite Stephen King adaptation? Um, obviously, the new It films. But to be honest, they still, to me, weren't the book. You know, the book is great. And there's just something missing. It's sort of... The film, when I watched it at the cinema, it it was like it was designed for teenagers. And the cinema was just full of kids. And it was more of your sort of jump scare horror, which... I'm not into, I like psychological and horror that gets in into your mind. A lot of um, sort of film horror, it's just been generated for the the visual shock factor, isn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, that's not really something that appeals to me a great deal. If it suits the storyline, then, uh, you know, in a horror, then that's that's fine. But if it's literally, if someone's just going out of their way to try and put just, just you know, revolting imagery on the on the screen with a weak plot, yeah. then I'm not really into it. There's been some really interesting horror films in the in the last few years I've watched. Um, it Follows was a good one. Right. Uh, the Babadook. And um, one I watched last year, which... From the poster at the cinema, you couldn't really tell what it was about. Uh, it was called Midsummer. Ariaster, I think, was the director of that, and that was just superb. Really, it's all set in the daylight as well. It's all daytime, yeah, except for the the opening scenes. But just really 
interesting. They go to Sweden. Is it Sweden? Uh, but it's like for their midsummer festival, so it's daylight all the time. And all these American kids go over to this festival, and it's it puts me in mind of the Wicker Man. Have you ever seen the Wicker Man? I haven't Lee? seen the Wicker Man, but I've heard all about it. Yeah, but yeah, no, it's it's very similar to that. So if anyone's out there after a good horror film to watch, it's different, a lot different to your usual horror films. Then that one's great. I think you know. After that, I think I'm really might have to force myself to uh, brush up on my um, my horror. I, and I, you know, that's an interesting topic uh, for the reason for why I avoid horror. But more to the point, I'm very good at avoiding films that make me feel uncomfortable in any way. And I got to admit, from the absolute get go watching uncut gems it was very good at making me feel uncomfortable but in a different way <laughs> i thought to... that as i was watching it i was thinking i bet nafe is hating this experience <laughs> it is it's fast paced isn't it I, because if, if it was down to me if i was just watching it for something for my passing of my own time for something to do and relax of a weekend i probably wouldn't have got to the end of that film but i'm glad i did see i like a film that gets in there, you know, and just generates some sort of response other than just watching and taking stuff in, you know. it's um, Someone commented, watching Uncut Gems is like having an anxiety attack. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I can completely understand that. Do you know what? The first time that you actually enter into his shop, his store, if you like, his, his jewellery store or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Oh my god! That that it's the layers of people talking over each other, which is obviously something in normal film that you will not experience because it, you know, they can't portray the flow of the conversation, if you like. But you know, yeah. where they've intentionally edited this, almost like what you'd experience in everyday life, where it's just people talking over people, talking over people, and then people raising their voices to talk louder to be heard, whereas other people raise their voice more. I was just like. Oh, it was driving me absolutely mental. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it is like you like a bit of peace and quiet, don't you know? If you like a bit of space from people, yeah. But then, <laughs> on the flip side of that, what they—I mean—they've made those editorial choices to get that desired effect. Um, you know, to make you feel that way, and they've done it in a very successful way. You know what I mean? They've really achieved yeah. what they've set out to achieve. Um, Robert Altman does something similar in a lot of his films, gets actors to say their lines over the top of each other. If you see, like, Robert Altman's MASH, he portrays that same amount of hectic realism in the, uh, like, the surgery rooms of the, the MASH The field hospital. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, love, I love that effect. A lot of the cinematography in this as well was a bit similar to Robert Altman. It's a lot of shots zoomed in from afar yeah so you're close to the 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 actors but the camera you can tell the camera isn't it's sort of away and zoomed in so you're looking over people's shoulders or you're looking through something it's like you're at the other side of the room observing it gives you that that compression of the scene doesn't it it does but it also it also gives you a sense that you're sort of watching almost eavesdropping this bloke's life you know um, I will just, I'll just cut in here a minute, Nathan. 
Um, yeah, for those who don't or aren't aware of Uncut Gems, it's um, well, it's basically Adam Sandler plays Howard Ratner, and he's a jewelry, would you say, seller, jewelry merchant, merchant I in think, the yeah, uh, yeah, in the Diamond District of New York City, and instantly we're thrown into sort of the chaos of his life. He's juggling everything, isn't he? He's into his gambling. He's into sort of doing deals and pawning things to get money for this. And he's playing off his wife to his mistress. And all the time he's dodging and diving these uh, loan sharks as well. Nothing in his life is straightforward, is it? It's a great performance by Adam Sandler, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was... um... It's not a role that you would have normally seen him in. But that said, when you picture the character's physicality, you know, um, if you were to describe his 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 characteristics, you know, of being sort of weaselly and slippery and, um, you know, m- manipulative, I guess, in a way, but sort of the sort of creature that is willing to do anything to save their own skin. You know what I mean? And yeah, the way he portrays that character, uh, uh, you know, as an actor, the way he takes on that role um, to be sort of as snivelly almost as he is. And so spineless, I guess, if you like, from the moment he gets slapped in the face by the loan shark, when he sort of offers him the water, you know, you realise that, you know, there's no backbone to this. You've got no respect for this character whatsoever, you know, and Adam Sandler sort of brings that across really well. He's always thinking ahead to how he can gain from everything, isn't he, you know? Yeah. He, he The amount of times he has the money that he could just give to the loan sharks, but he thinks, oh, I don't want to give them the money, I'll sooner gamble it. And then you sort of just think that he's he's also got all these people around him who you get a sense, are they using him? You know, all the people in his store. And the fact that the the basketball player takes the stone from him and you just think, how could you let that go, you know? He couldn't say no to the bloke, could he? That's the spinelessness again, you know what I mean? It's just like, mm. if you really believe that it's worth as much as you think it is, why on earth... Are you letting this guy get the better of you and just walk out the store with it? You know what I mean? But I think he is he is a huge basketball fan as well. His character's a huge basketball fan as well, I suppose, which yeah. sort of adds some sort of argument to the, to the reasoning behind it. But Well, exactly, because once he knows he's got that, he's like, he's going to play really well tonight because he's got that gem. So he plays, he lays all these ridiculous bets to make the money. What What genre would you call this film exactly? I'd call it a drama. Is it a thriller? It's not a thriller in the sense of a... Yeah, I don't know. Almost a comedy drama, isn't it? it is, there is comedic elements in there. Does there need to be some sort of classification for a film where, you know, everything that could go wrong does go wrong and more? Because it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not an unusual storyline in a film, is it? Yet it's not an unusual plot where we, you know, someone does something, it goes wrong, it gets out of hand, and that leads to the next thing that goes wrong, and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. It's it's evident in most of the Cohen brothers' films, isn't it? Someone digging themselves deeper into a hole. Fargo is a classic. Yeah, 
On Wikipedia, Uncut Gems is a an American crime thriller. Right. I wouldn't really... Yeah, there is a thriller element to it. You're on the edge of your seat. You're just thinking... You're not. You're rooting for him, but you don't want to be rooting for him. You just think, what are you doing? You, you're making it worse. You cannot possibly get out of this, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, but you do inevitably. You are rooting for him at the same time as you're enjoying watching him getting slapped around and wa- walking himself into these corners. And uh, it's just funny every time you see him, like when he's he takes his son. To the apartment where his mistress has been, <laughs> and his son's like, "I need the toilet." And he's like, "Uh, knocking on neighbors' doors to palm his son off." And then when he comes out, his son's like, "Who's the hot girl?" Your neighbors say there's a hot girl. <laughs> so exactly what he was trying to avoid. Which, if he did just let him in the flat, the girl wasn't there anyway. I I was trying to think about how I'd describe the uh, my feelings towards towards Adam Sandler's character towards Howard. And I kind of figured that in reality, like you said, you're rooting for him, even though, you know, your common sense is telling you that he, he does not deserve to get out of this by behaving the way he's behaving. In my head, the analogy I came up with is, is like, you know, it's like a a lame horse, a horse that you really quite like, but you know, really, that the best thing to do with it is, you know, just to end its suffering and put a bullet in its head. You know what I mean? But he, like you say, you, you do... He does get under your skin. You do start sort of rooting for him. You do want him to win. You do want him to come out the other side of it, you know? I think one of the key points where you start to to gather some sort of sympathy is the scene where he goes to his daughter's play. That's right. He's sat there and then the, the, the loan sharks are there in the back row. Yeah, yeah. Sort of waiting for him. That's where the line is crossed. You know, because it's like this isn't no, this isn't any longer just a work thing. This is like right, this is in his family, and yeah, I do love how that scene ends up. And uh, <laughs> um, one of the things I really liked about this film, yeah, uh, I mentioned a bit about the cinematography earlier, but also the micro. It's not macro photography; it's almost micro photography, isn't it? Like the very beginning when they you see in the in the caves in the mines at Ethiopia and they're hacking away at the gem and they, they get the stone out. Yeah. The camera zooms into the gem. Goes into the opal. Yeah. It goes into the opal and it's sort of traveling through. And then you end up in his colonoscopy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. First time we meet our character, we're, we're in his ass. It's, (laughs) It's a strange it's a strange way to meet your your protagonist. Oh, I've met, I meet loads of people like that, Trevor's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hello, my name's Dave. How are you? Yeah, I know, weird, right? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing in there? <laughs> the look on their face when I come out, it's horrendous. But, yeah, moving on. I was going to say, like, the whole colonoscopy thing, because... Uh, that's another thing that makes you you sort of I think maybe it adds scale to the the problems that the, yeah. the protagonist that the main character has you know because if you were having a colonoscopy for a serious reason most normal people until they had the results of that colonoscopy 
um, because they probably have in it because there's suspicions that there's something wrong. That would probably be a weight hanging over them, you know, in, until they get those results. But like, it's just literally once the colonoscopy is over, it's just like, that's it. It's gone. Like it's never spoken about. It's not mentioned. Forgotten. Yeah. yeah. And you do forget about it until, until it pops back up. Yeah. But you know, it just goes, goes to show he's got so much on his plate. that His life is so chaotic. He's, weaving and twisting and and digging himself deeper in so many directions yeah and that's like the colonoscopy is the last thing on his mind we've all forgotten it yeah it, within seconds so i'd like to talk about also his running with the loan sharks and arno eric bogosian plays arno he's an actor who i i've only ever seen him in talk radio right. which is an oliver stone film which i didn't realize until i was researching for this that Eric Bogosian actually wrote Talk Radio. He's a playwright, and he that's his play that Oliver Stone made into a film. But what I was going to say is that the, the two other guys, Phil and Nico, that Phil, the big guy, yeah. um, who's like the most sort of overbearing of the Lone Sharks, isn't he? He's the one who's always in that Adam Sanders face. And I was watching thinking, how do I, where do I recognise him? I've definitely seen him in something before. So I Googled him. And it, it, this was actually his first ever film. He's not an actor. The Safdie brothers have actually picked most of this cast of new actors or non-actors. So they have just picked people off the street who look like they belong doing those things and i thought he was absolutely amazing for just being a non-actor and his little mate nico as well is a non-actor the two little strange jewish guys who he palms them off with a watch and he adam sandler yes. palms them off with a fake watch to get rid of them yeah they're just two guys off the streets they've got such a weird look to them you'd think that they are some sort of niche actors extras or something yeah that's crazy but they're not they're just just people they've like oh will you be in the film they everyone gives such a real performance you know and i just think that's great it adds a real depth and i suppose scorsese does similar things in his films if you watch goodfellas you know they're non-actors sort of making up all the mafioso in the behind the scenes in the bars yeah in goodfellas and casino and things like that so I think New York is probably the best place to find these non-actors to comply and be in these films. But the the, the brothers also have employed non-actors in the sense of the weekend, who's some the R and B singer in the middle of it. Yeah, that uh, his mistress is sort of doing cocaine with in the in the toilet, isn't she? Yes. I I, I personally don't. I've heard the name the weekend, but I don't know who you know. Not my sort of thing, R and B. No, I mean he was he was quite big a couple of weekends a couple of years ago, wasn't he? He must have been. But I don't. I I'm that out of the charts, Nath, and I recognise the name. I wouldn't be able to tell you anything he's done. But um, also, Kevin Garnett, the basketball player, is Kevin Garnett playing himself. Yeah, he is Kevin Garnett. He is a basketball player. Um, the Kevin Garnett basketball scenes are all actual it's actual footage taken from real games as well so it's really interesting really well done it's uh yeah it's a it's a well put together film it's you know it's well thought out and i think that you know like there, there are a few calm scenes in the whole of the film and they're really 
noticeable because of the way the rest of the film's been shot. But like, even when you go in his apartment, just the decor and the way that his apartment's been sort of set up, it's just it just feels like chaos in the apartment. Oh yeah, and his kid's bedroom. What? Yes, you know all that neon lights and basketball hoops off the walls and it's just absolutely crazy isn't yeah it? you couldn't relax in that bedroom could you no just spoiling his children spoiling his wife who absolutely hates him oh god yeah seething hate and you can understand why oh god completely. yeah like like she says it's the most frustrated frustrated is it the most frustrating the most annoying person yeah i think she says you're the most annoying person i've ever met and she, she calls it at the beginning, doesn't she, where he's back with her, watching the first basketball game that he's bet on there, isn't he? Yeah. She's like, go and put your son to bed. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going, I'm going. And he's watching this. And she, after that scene anyway, which I think is a great scene where he's just so distracted. And when he's putting his son to bed, he's just sat next to his son watching his watching the game on the phone. He's not paying any attention to his son. Yeah. But then at the end of that scene, he sort of, she says, right, we get over Passover and then this is done. And then, but she calls it, she says, and I know what you're going to say, you know, why stop at Passover? And then he's like, oh, you know, I could go on longer than Passover. I think, <laughs> and he, he just can't let go of her, can he? No. When he knows that he should, and she doesn't want him. No. So you can see it all coming. And when he's sort of telling her, I'm having second thoughts at the end, you know, halfway through, she's got every right to just sort of say, Shut the hell up. What are you going on about, you know? Yeah. You put me all through, through all this. But the thing is... And is you, like, you think that it's all right, just carry on. At, at that part of the film, the viewers, us the viewers, we've almost had enough of him, you know what I mean? We're ready to sort of leave him for good, aren't we? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, it, to, yeah. you know, it's little scenes like that, like when he's supposed to be putting his son... Like, right, so, to build up the picture, like... The way he got the money to place the first bet, we don't agree with. Then he goes and gambles in a really bad way. The guy that he's placing the bet with, you know, is telling him that it seems like a really stupid bet. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Then he's not putting his son to bed, not spending any time with his kids whilst lying to his wife. He's also betting. The money that he's betting is money that he's pawned from a ring that he's holding in lieu of the... Oh, from the just, basketball player, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, just like... It's, so it's not even his ring. It's just... <laughs> takes it straight to the pawn shop. Step by step. $45,000. I mean, you know, <laughs> arguably, he's gambling with his ring all the way through the film. But, you know, he's literally... He's he's, he's just fucked it, and he... Basically, without putting too fine a point yeah. on it, he's literally, like, step by step, all the way through, every decision he makes... You're just like, oh God, oh God, oh God. Like it's just less and less and less and less yeah. respect for this for this individual, for this person. Yet somehow they still manage to sort of make you feel something for him to somehow want to see him claw his way out of it. It's incredible. You're yeah, you're still rooting for him to win that bet. You're like, oh, go on, win, win. You know, and when it when it all the results come in and he's like Yeah, and you think if you win, you're not gonna get you're not never going to learn from this. This won't be the end of it, will it? No. You know, if he wins big, it's still going to carry on. He's going to find somewhere else to lose that money. Um, and then 
a month or two down the line, he's going to be back in square one, borrowing money again. He's stuck in this circle, this ever-decreasing circle that he's sort of built himself. He's trapped himself in this life. And uh, not no jeweled Furbies, sort of <laughs> gold diamond-encrusted Furby is going to get him out of it. <laughs> no, and it's interesting that they chose to put that little detail in about the jewel-encrusted Furby, you know what I mean? But just... It's just chaos. The whole thing starts to finish. Even when you go in his office out the back of his store, again, just the mess, the way everything is, the clutter. And and like you say, because they're Yeah. Because they're filming from a distance but zoomed in with a longer lens, because it compresses the scene, there's no space between objects. There's no it makes everything feel very claustrophobic, you know what I mean? Which it just adds to the feel of the chaos, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And then you've got that the chap in there who works for him who's obviously had enough of him and is in there and he's just complaining to him about how he, he's had enough of it all while Adam Sandler's taking the rock out of the fish. And just that whole scene is like, oh, God, just, li-, you know, he's not listening to a word the bloke's saying, no. but that's all we can hear, yeah. you know, amongst other things. And it's just all these arguments and conversations going on at the same time. And he's he's able to sort of blank it all out <laughs> and not hear any it's, of it. It's the whole theme all the way through the film, isn't it? Like, you know, like despite everything that's going on around him, it is just Adam Sandler or, or Howard and his own agenda. Even when you go into the, when you go into the apartment, when he's supposed to go there with his son or his son's going to the toilet in his neighbor's apartment and uh, he's in there and the music's playing on the stereo and the music, for whatever reason, is really grating, but he's just obsessed with this note and everything else that's going on. And I'm just sat there and I'm willing him, just willing him to turn the stereo off. And it's just like, it's the last thing he does. And it's just, oh my God, finally you've turned the stereo off. You know what I mean? It's just driving you to distraction all the way through the film. But yeah, it definitely makes you feel something. There's hardly any scenes where you can write, all right, we take a breath now. Maybe the Passover scene where he goes to, I think it's his, it's his, it's his in-laws, isn't it? They meet up with their in-laws. Right. All the family around the table and they're yeah, reciting yeah. something. I mean, I don't know the Jewish traditions at all, but that's probably the only sort of calm scene in there. And then, but for reasons that we'll discuss in the, the, the spoilers section, there's... Hidden chaos, tension. It's still yeah. a tense scene, isn't it? I think there's um, there was one notable scene, and I can't remember where else it is through the film, where he's driving, and it just, it, like, for a very brief moment, like, the soundtrack uh, and the chaos, and, you know, you're zoomed out, it's a very wide shot, and there's space between objects and vehicles and everything's less cluttered. And all of a sudden it's just like, oh, there's this, this brief moment of relax. And actually at that point, I actually decided that I needed to take a break because I was getting that worked up about it. <laughs> so I, t- I, I paused it and I actually went out of the room and I, I stood in the kitchen, leaning on the kitchen side. And I was like, whew, what the, that is just crazy. Yeah, I actually contemplated uh, picking up the phone and sending you a message and be like, Trev, what are you doing to me? Is this really what you, the first film you pick is this? <laughs> <laughs> See, the thing is, uh, as much as I love films being released to Netflix, there's something about being able to watch a film in the cinema because you can't take a break. 
Yeah. You have to endure it. So this is the second time I've seen this. When I first watched it, I watched it on my phone. Yeah. But I'd love to have seen it in the cinema. And as much as I love Netflix, and it's great that these filmmakers are going to Netflix and you can get it straight at home before the cinema, I miss the cinema because you don't, you don't get your phone out. You don't stop for a tea. You don't answer a phone call or have to sort the kids out, you know? Yeah. Um, but another thing I love, worth mentioning, is the music of the film. It's a really strange sort of synthetic... It almost reminds me of, like, the 80s sort of sound to it. Yeah. Sort of like your Stranger Things and your John Carpenter films. But it's also got, like... I don't know if you're old enough to remember this. When I was really small in school, primary school, they used to get a projector out and they'd put up all these old underwater and um, wildlife documentaries. So I think it was like your uh, Jacques Cousteau. Yes. And it's all this sort of weird electronic music. A bit like what they're imitating in The Life Aquatic with Steve Suzuki. Yes, yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. almost that sort of music here, isn't it? The bloke called Daniel Lep. Lopatin, oh god, don't ask me to pronounce names, but he's also called One O Tricks Point Never is his is his artist name, right? Um, and I listened to a few of his stuff today on YouTube, and really strange, really almost Aphex Twin, but it's not. It's almost a lot of it sounds like it's taken from the eighties. Like it's just strange, really, but really gave the film a, its definite quality. And I mean, in the very opening scene, the music is overbearing. Once you've come, you've had the micro photography shot, gone through the gym, you've come out through his colonoscopy, and then he's walked down the street and he's back in the, the jewellery store. And the music is playing louder than the dialogue. Yet there's all this dialogue going on. And it was like very strange effect, very jarring. But at the same time, it's really effective. They, yeah, they totally set this this tone for this discomfort and it's just constant all the way throughout the film. And I was just like, Oh my God. And the thing, do you know what one of the most frustrating things about it was, is the fact that I knew full well when I was watching this, that you'd already seen it and that you knew how this was going to be making me feel. And I, I just, I just knew in the back of my mind, I was like, he sat there and he's thinking, I wonder if, I wonder what they're thinking about this. I don't know. I don't know what made me choose this one as a first film. It wasn't even on my original list. It only just sort of popped in my head last week, and I was like, "Hey, I'd like to watch that again." Maybe that's. It's quite a modern film. It's quite a recent one. There might still be a lot of talk about it. Let's watch that. You know, people might still be watching it and looking for yeah sort of reviews on it. Maybe it's all to do with the traffic flow. You know, that's what I thought. Um, it wasn't until I was watching it with my wife and I could clearly see she wasn't enjoying it. And I felt uncomfortable watching it with her. And then I was like, Nafe is going to be hating this. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I realized. I was like, I, I couldn't remember quite how hectic it was. And I thought Nafe's not going to like this. But. but the thing is, right, this is something that someone's made with intention. They've had a vision of how they want it to be, how they want you, the viewer to feel. And they've gone with it, and you have to respect that. Just because it's not particularly, possibly my favourite kind of film, doesn't mean that it's not a good film. Yeah, and did you get drawn? You got drawn in by the end. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like you know, you 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 become invested in the storyline, 
and you you have to you know like i said you when once you as a viewer once you cotton on to the fact that the way you're feeling is the way they're making you feel by the way that they've edited and directed and, and filmed the film it's like right okay i'm meant to be feeling like this then you sort of like okay what's the purpose of that and then you start to sort of you're thinking about a film from another level if you want a sort of nice comfortable film to sit and watch there are any number of samey rom-coms out there that you can go and watch but you know if you want if you want something that's actually going to generate a bit of thought then this is the perfect film isn't it are you Sort of keen on Adam Sandler films. You watch many Adam Sandler films, his comedies. I've got to be honest, like, he he went through a, a phase where it seemed like the guy could do no wrong. You know, with, um, was it Daddy Daycare and... I've not seen that one. I've seen Waterboy. Yeah, there was Waterboy. And what's Billy Madison, is it? Is that the golf one? Happy Gilmore was the golf one, wasn't it? Oh, Happy Gilmore, yeah. And I then, don't think I've seen Billy Madison. Which was the one where he's... He, he plays the devil's son. Is it Damien? Is it one? Is there one called Damien or Little? I do. Oh. Little Nicky. Little Nicky. Yeah, that's the one. And then um... yeah, I do. I I sort of like started losing interest a bit there. I think I really yeah. enjoyed the Wedding Singer when that came out. I, you know, I haven't I seen think. it. Haven't seen it. I've quite like that and Fifty First Dates as well. But then I think that's because I quite like um, Drew Barry. Drew Barry more, yeah. Quite enjoy her just, films. I've never been a fan. Isn't that weird? What Drew Barry more? Yeah, never. Like I don't know. I don't mind the film Fifty First Dates, but yeah, it's. I don't think it's his best film. I don't think her best film. Uh, it's an interesting concept. No, I think it's just one of those ones you can just. It's not him being completely inane because there's a lot of actors who sort of just do the slapstick thing and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't sometimes they get to a point where it it no longer works if they had it once they haven't anymore and i think steve martin sort of went through that and i think with adam sandler i definitely got to a point whether it was me getting older and more mature because i'm really mature these days yeah i was like do you know what I can't watch it. I cannot watch another Adam Sandler film. I've had enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what? saying that, I've watched him in a couple of more serious roles. This one, um, Punch Drunk Love, and wasn't there sort of like a a film they'd done all about where there was a load of friends, wasn't there? And it was all he was almost a serious role in that, wasn't it? It was a comedy, but Not, more of a comedy drama. Was it Grown Ups? Yeah, it was Grown Ups. Yeah, that was quite a good film. I thought. It's, <sighs> You know, he's not had a bad career, but I think as far as serious roles are concerned, this is probably the best I've ever seen him. I think the Americans love him more. They grew up with him and Saturday Night Live and things like that. We don't see Saturday Night Live over here, really, do we? So no. I think we missed his like stand-up comedy and stuff. And probably like all these characters are characters from Saturday Night Live that got film versions like 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 Wayne's World and things like that did, didn't they, you know? Yeah. Not that that's him, but I've got a feeling that maybe that's where these characters come from. Sure. But be interested to hear what our listeners what what you think of Adam Sandler. If you like Adam Sandler films, which is your which are your favourites? 
or if you prefer any other sort of zany comedians, comedy actors, to Adam Sandler, just let us know in the comments below. It's always good to hear from you. Should we do some um, comments, viewers' comments, and then we'll get into the spoilers? Let's do some viewers' comments. Uh, last week's podcast, episode one, was just basically me and you sort of navigating a f an impromptu film chat about nothing in particular, but ended up being quite a lot about James Cameron and <laughs> Lord of the Rings. We sort of kept coming back to those two topics. Yeah. But we've had a few few listeners there have sort of put suggestions through of different things. Uh, Bulldog Badger says topics for future podcast Scorsese films and Tarantino films. Yeah. Which I think we'll definitely cover some Scorsese. We've discussed that as well. If we're going to discuss directors, Scorsese is one that pops up first of all isn't it you know yeah 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 definitely it's high up on my list i've only just sort of recently got back into tarantino i sort of went i went off tarantino a bit i think he's a bit too indulgent self-indulgent sometimes but saying that i watched reservoir dogs recently and have you ever seen reservoir dogs knife i have seen reservoir dogs yeah i really really enjoyed it uh, a lot more than i remembered enjoying it originally even though i did i used to be a big tarantino fan and then we watched Pulp Fiction, and I actually enjoyed Pulp Fiction less than I enjoyed Reservoir Dogs. It almost seemed that every character spoke like Tarantino. I could just imagine Tarantino saying everyone's lines, you know, when you've yeah. seen him talk. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just just refreshing myself with a few uh, uh, a few Scorsese films, actually. Yeah. And, um, oh, my God. So much to discuss. Oh, so much. I mean, literally, there's there's like a month's worth of viewing here before I even feel that I'd be remotely qualified to have an opinion <laughs> on the topic. You know what I mean? There's some films here that I absolutely love, right? Gangs of New York, Aviator. I actually really enjoyed Hugo. King of Comedy is one that I never would have seen if it wasn't for knowing you, uh, which I really enjoyed. King of Comedy is one of my favourite Scorsese De Niro films. It's actually the new Joker is based heavily on that, and right, I'm sort yes. of glad that I'm was aware of it before the talk of Joker came around, because now people say, "Oh, it's like King of Comedy," and people have said that to me. Oh, have you seen the Joker? Yeah, it's sort of based on King of Comedy, and then I'll start talking about King of Comedy, and they'll be like, "They don't know what I'm talking about. They <laughs> obviously are only just repeating what they've heard." Yeah, they're just regurgitating uh, someone else's seen, opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Haven't actually seen King of Comedy, and I think. It's one of those films that I, it sort of flopped after the likes of Raging Bull. Yeah. And I think people were waiting for Scorsese and De Niro to make a dud film. And they just pounced on this one as that dud. But I just think it's, it's brilliant. It is great. I'm looking at these Scorsese films and um, Goodfellas, right? Goodfellas is a film that I had never seen. And actually, do you remember when we were working nights together and you lent me the book Wise Guys? Yeah, yeah. So I actually, thanks to you, I actually read the book Wise Guys before I actually watched the film Goodfellas. Yeah. And uh, good, Goodfellas, ever since. Um, and I think it's sort of won, won a place in my heart thanks to reading the book, you know? It is a great, great story, yeah. But the film, uh, the film's just brilliant. The first, I think it's the first film of Scorsese's that I ever saw. I think it came on. They had a De Niro season on Channel 4. And I was always into films. 
and I heard the name De Niro, but I don't think I'd ever seen a De Niro film. And I think the season started and I think it might have even kicked off with Goodfellas. And I was like, oh, I watched Goodfellas. And oh my God, I must have been 14, 15. And it just, it just blew my mind what I was watching. It was incredible. Yeah. And then that started me on the Scorsese and De Niro path then. And then, but then he's done some great, uh, what was the one with Jack Nicholson and I'm just looking at that, the departed Leo DiCaprio, the departed. Yeah. That was fantastic as well. Absolutely brilliant film. Mark Wahlberg actually is a standout in that for me. I absolutely love his character. He's the really angry sergeant, isn't he? Or, or yeah. an, a, oh, just, he's just so, so angry all the way through the film. I love his character. It's just so punctuated, so uh, aggressive and memorable. You know what I mean? Like everybody else has got this really sort of complicated role and he just seems really simple and black and white and just a real sort of like an anchor almost, you know? Uh, Bulldog Badger also went on to say, Nate, that um, you was talking about Gran Torino saying that it resonated with you. Yeah. And then he thought that Falling Down starring Michael Douglas would resonate with you too. (laughs) And I I replied, because do you remember it was like two days before the podcast, I actually said the same thing to you in a phone conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, do you know what? I've seen bits of that, so maybe I need to watch it twice in in just over a week, you know? So uh, maybe that should be on my list for this weekend. Um, RM Film goes on to say... He's watched some TV series over lockdown that would make a good podcast. Things like The Last Kingdom, Game of Thrones, Peaky Blinders, and Outlander. I've not heard of Outlander. I've watched The Last Kingdom and Game of Thrones, and I've not watched Peaky Blinders yet either. But you like you're reading the Sharp books at the moment, aren't you? Yes, yeah. Bernard Cornwell. Bernard Cornwell. The Last yeah. Kingdom is written by Bernard Cornwell, and The Last Kingdom is a great series. I really enjoyed that. Game of Thrones I enjoyed up until they sort of run out of books and then the TV studios sort of took over the writing of the, the story and it sort of lost its lost its way a little bit. But sure. Peaky Blinders I've not seen. Um, Timoy Tickets says, I can't believe you don't like Westerns. Then he goes on to say about all the Monty Python films or Hitchcock. <laughs> now... I think there's some pi- we could have a discussion about all the Python films. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. yeah. And Hitchcock as well. I've there's a couple of Hitchcock films on the list I've given you, isn't there, Nath? Yes. Um, yes, there is. So definitely some really great Hitchcock films worth looking. Yeah, I think um Monty Python uh and the Monty Python films were very much of our era when we were growing up, weren't they? The alternative comedy sort of thing really sort of come of age uh when we were growing up things like uh holy grail yeah we used to watch the holy grail quite a lot oh my god <laughs> i literally fantastic fell out of my chair laughing that used that. to be in my top 10 films i think that would always be one i'd always go back to probably more than the life of brian yeah like, who's your favorite python my favorite python Oh, 
I think John Cleese has got to be right up there with him, but I don't know whether that's just because he's had a more prominent career. See, I think whenever I'm watching any of the Python films, it's, it's paling all the way. I just think he's brilliant. I talked last week about Call of the Wild. I said I think it might be based on a book, and it is based on a book. Ray Frazier pointed out that it is based on a book of the same title by Jack London. Um, and then Roxfoot said, if you're taking suggestions... May I suggest Equilibrium? Seen that? Equilibrium. It sounds like something I would have watched. It's sort of like a, it looks a bit Matrixy. I can't quite remember it. It's um, it's Christian Bale. I do remember enjoying it. Then he says True Romance, Starship Troopers, Deadpool, and Machete. True Romance is that <laughs> Christian Slater? True Romance is Christian Slater. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the Arquettes, isn't it, Patricia Arquette? Yeah. It's actually Tarantino wrote it. Tony Scott directed it. The original screenplay had the Christian Slater character, I think it's called Clarence, was writing a screenplay in the film. Yeah. And the screenplay that he was writing was Natural Born Killers, which they separated from the film, sold separately, and Oliver Stone went on to direct. There you go. Useless information for you. (laughs) But that's where Natural Born Killers originated from True Romance. Well, there you go. And Starship Troopers, um, which Paul Verhoeven film, which I must say I I prefer Robocop. Have you seen Starship Troopers? You must I have. have seen Starship Troopers. It's quite full on, isn't it? I didn't know quite know what to make of it because, uh, well, I mean, it was quite young when I watched it. I've actually got the book I've been meaning to read, but it's um, there's a lot of gore and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of nudity and stuff, and it was just like wow, it's really. In your face, like... And well, it's Paul Verhoeven, Nath. He loves a bit of sex and violence. He also done um, Basic Instinct and the original Total Recall. Right, yeah, well, that makes sense. That makes an awful lot of sense, doesn't it? <laughs> well, he's Dutch, isn't he? He is Dutch, yeah. And, you know, I've always said, you've always said, there's two things in this world you can't stand, and that's people that are intolerant of other people's culture and the Dutch. <laughs> that was Michael Caine said that. <laughs> Who was Michael Caine who said that? So I always get you and Michael Caine confused. I do apologise. Oh, no, yeah. Uh, Easily done. That's because I blew them doors off, wasn't it? <laughs> Bloody doors. Bloody doors. Uh, and then Roxford oh, also says Deadpool and Machete. Deadpool. You've seen Deadpool. You love. You rave oh. about Deadpool. I still haven't watched it. I can't believe you haven't watched it. I've watched all the Marvels now, except for Deadpool. I can't so I do believe need to get off my all of the or, literally horribleness. Anus. You you were so blunt about the Marvel films when I mentioned you, them to you for so many years, and then when you finally decide that you're going to watch all the Marvel <laughs> films, the one that I thought was best and you probably appreciate the most is the one that you've left out. I still haven't watched it. No, because I watched them all with my son. And <laughs> yeah, you really shouldn't watch Deadpool He's a with bit too young for Deadpool. Yeah. I, the <laughs> second one is good. Uh, I think maybe the wow factor has gone. And you know, you know you get that with films where like mm. the first, like Anchorman, right? Very difficult when you have something that has that sort of hit to, to follow it up um, with something equally as fresh and captivating, isn't it? Like, you know, I think Deadpool had the same problem with the second yeah, one. Yeah, I think a lot of films like that. I did. I always think Bad Santa was another one, which was great when it first came out. And then Bad Santa 2 just tries to push the boundaries even further. And it just it just missed the mark. It wasn't funny. It's just vulgar. 
Yeah. Um, Matt Wadham says, oh, this is quite possibly my new favourite podcast. Cheers, Matt. Oh, appreciate that. Well, let's discuss uh, that. He loves the Star Wars films and the Star Wars books as well. But he says, a good film to make a, cro- a grown man cry is Eight Below with Paul Walker. I've not heard of that, have you, Nate? Eight Below with Paul Walker. Now, was he not the guy that was in S- S- Need for Speed? Is it Need for Speed or is it... He is the guy that died. Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious, that's the one, yeah. yeah. Eight, eight Below. I've not really watched those films. Eight Below, yeah. Eight Below. Um, and then he says, you also left out Star Trek. I've only actually recently got into Star Trek. Never really... <sighs> was never a big fan of Star Trek as a child there was there was always seemed to be a bit of a star wars star trek divide i can remember when i was at school yeah i mean my mum loved both but i think that's because my mum had quite a crush on patrick stewart she was very much a jean-luc picard fan stuart davy says peanut butter falcon is well recommended that's on netflix isn't it it? is i've seen that i meant to ask if that's any sort of any good if you knew if that was worth a watch i've not watched it so maybe we'll watch that at some point and do that one as well. Yeah. T in Valhalla said, uh, if you enjoyed Call of the Wild on Disney, try Togo or Tugo, Togo, based on a true story. Is that um, is that Richard Gere? I want to say Richard Gere. I don't know. I recognise the name. I don't think I know anything about the film. Uh, Boiled Egg says, two movies I've enjoyed, Kajaki, 2014, also called Kilo 2 Bravo in the US. It's a British war movie about an incident in Afghanistan. Quite immersive. And the second one was Gentleman, the new Guy Ritchie movie. Jim Bryan says, guess you're not a fan of Time Bandits. <laughs> yeah, probably because my due to my fear of, uh, fear of the little folk. Uh, he says he loves a good Western. A good, bad, the ugly is amazing. He also hurt, loves Labyrinth. But then he says, have you heard of Jim Jarmusch? And recommends two films, Dead Men and Down by Law, which are Jim Jarmusch films. Jim Jarmusch, I spoke about Broken Flowers last week, Nathan, and that is the director of Broken Flowers, Jim Jarmusch. Right. But apart from Broken Flowers, I haven't seen anything. I'm aware of him, but I haven't seen anything else. So I'd like to watch some more of them films. And then he says, and you're on about spaces between films. What did you think of Train Spotting 2? Have you seen Train Spotting 2? I haven't, mate, I, if I'm honest. it's It was hit and miss to me. There was bits in it that I was like, oh, this doesn't... They tried to put too much from the original into the sequel, you know, like the Choose Life bit, where he's, he's talking about, oh, we used to say Choose Life, Choose This, Choose... And then it, there's all bits that sort of flash back and it just doesn't need it, you know? Whereas the actual story was quite good, I thought. I've got to be honest, I was literally, when the first one came out, I was just before that sort of coming of age period of my life. And uh, it's very hard hitting, isn't it? You know what I mean? When you look at it in some respects. And um, I've got to be honest, it's one that I find difficult to, although I appreciate it for being a good film, it's one that I find difficult to go back and watch. So when the second one came out, I really... I sort of steered clear, if I'm honest. Well, we we only watched the Terminator, Terminator, the train spotting films, sort of the last the last couple of months, and I I sort of thought I grew had grown out of train spotting at some point, but watching it again, it is just 
it is faultless. It is a fantastic film. Really good. Yeah. Great performances. And I think Ewan Bremner as Spud, he was fantastic in it. Rob, Robbie Carlyle's character was really... Begbie, is it Begbie? Yeah, yeah. So, so angry, so aggressive, so volatile, you know? Oh, yeah, you just felt on tenterhooks around him, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are characters such as, as Begbie in Trainspotting that just outshine, to me, you know, really sort of stand out. Ben make... Kingsley in um, Sexy Beast. Is another <laughs> one. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Yes, I watched it with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's um, Ray Winston. But, you yeah. know, Ray Whitstone's a giant man. Ben Kingsley's this little wiry bloke. And what, Ray Whitstone, you understand why he's scared of Ben Kingsley. Absolutely amazing performance. Really horrible little man. Great film. Yeah, that was brilliant. So I think we've gone through all the comments there, Nath. Um, it's quite growing to be quite a long podcast. Wow. <laughs> and now we've got to get back to the spoilers. So hopefully people will listen to this at some point. So I make it two podcasts. We might have to. I might have to. Uh, so now we're into the spoiler topics of Uncut Gems. So if you've not seen the film, then please... At this point, you might like to turn off if you don't want to know what's going on. Enjoy the film. The film is on Netflix. Then come back and have a listen. So, yeah, Arno, then, Naif, the, the the lone shark, turns out to be family. Turns out to be his brother-in-law there. Yeah. So when you first meet Arno, he's, uh, he's in the passenger seat of a vehicle that Adam Sandler Howard is, is dragged into. And you can see in his face... And it's is subtle, but it's there that there is some sort of conflict going on with him that you're not that's not being explained to you, that's not being told to you, and you and you're aware it's there, but it's very brief and it's sort of there and it's gone again, like you know, almost like uh, yeah, almost like the colonoscopy. It's almost like it's there and it's forgotten about, like you know. I listened to the Safty Brothers today on a podcast uh, where they were discussing the making of Uncut Gems. And they were actually saying that the chap who plays Arno, um, Eric Bogosian, yeah, he didn't like the way they was acting and they, they, everyone was just told to just keep talking and keep throwing their lines. And he didn't, he was just like, I don't know, he couldn't act in that style. Yeah. So they say a lot of his frustration in the scenes is real frustration with him trying to act with non-actors who have just been given <laughs> all these random directions. And <laughs> But I think it works really well because it is, it is chaos and everyone's fighting to say their lines. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just brilliant. It just looks real, doesn't it? So but the second time we meet him, the, the penny drops uh, and Adam Sandler is, is at uh, his in-law's place or whatever. He's at the Passover, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, and he's sat across the yeah. table from him and you're like, what? Right, okay, how has this happened? It puts a different slant on that relationship, doesn't it? Yeah. And then you sort of think, well, how far are these guys going to go then? You know, if it's family, you know, maybe that's why Adam Sandler's like, He's not that poverty. He thinks they're family. What can they do? What what can happen? But then, then pushing his luck. If ever I was going to do anything like what Adam Sandler was doing, and it's not in me as a person, but if you were like 
family would be you know where my values lie family would be the last people that i'd want to be behaving like that i'd be more inclined to do it to someone that was completely random that i didn't know <laughs> i'd yeah. i'd be too embarrassed but he doesn't care does he, he no. even at the auction scene where he's horrible at the auction anyway he's just effing and blinding to that poor girl on the phone yeah and he tells the the, the father-in-law judd hirsch comes to the auction because he's excited for him and then he's like going you've got to bid against the others and he's like what do you mean he gets his father-in-law to bid for this gem to up the price and you know you know as soon as he suggests it yeah you know how it's gonna pan out and it's just <laughs> i think judd hirsch's face when he loses is just he's like oh well when he wins he wins yeah and yeah. his face is just like Oh, fuck. All of a sudden, he's like, now i got to pay all this money. Um, but you, you notice the little, I don't know if it's Adam Sandler's other brother-in-law, the, the other son who's sort of floating around with the father-in-law. Yeah. He has no idea what's going on. He must think that they're really bidding for it because he looks really pleased at the end of it. He's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, he's got this real gormless like, laughing yeah. face on him. Yeah. He's just Adam Sandler's character is the sort of like very much the you can choose your friends, you can't choose your family sort of embarrassment that you're just like, oh, my God. But but then like we're saying about the colonoscopy as well. And then when that turns up, you've almost forgotten yeah. all about it. And you think this is it. It's going to this is going to be bad news, but it's not. And it's sort of lost in this really really hectic scene where everyone's fighting in his office i can't quite remember who's in there but there's all this commotion going on and he's sorry doc what what you know over the phone yeah and, uh, the doctor's like yeah yeah it's all it's all okay so it's like it was nothing but a red herring yeah but I, I think it is you know it is some sort of perspective like you know something that would be such a big deal in someone else's life is such an insignificant speck or at least that's how I took it to be. Like, and I think also it's like he just thinks he is untouchable, doesn't he? He thinks, yeah, nothing, nothing can happen to me. I, he's not worried about anything. He doesn't worry about how he upsets other people, or you know how he treats other people. Doesn't worry about his health. He's not worried about the repercussions of the loan sharks, even when he's. You know, oh, what's the worst they can do is throw me naked in the back of a car, <laughs> you know, in the boot of a car at my daughter's play. Yeah. Which I think is a great scene where they're throwing him in there. Take his pants off. I want his pants. <laughs> and he ends up having to phone his wife to get to get her out. Yeah. So she can see what a complete prick he is, you know. She knows what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is the thing. you like, he he doesn't see any issue with the fact that he's called his ex-wife to come out to his car to unlock it so that he can get out of the boot naked, offers absolutely no explanation whatsoever for what's just happened, puts on some shabby other clothes that look completely out of place compared to what he was wearing when he first left the room, and then goes back in to sit down to watch the rest of the recital. It's just yeah. like, oh, my and God. And even the way he's talking to his daughter afterwards, and she is just not... She doesn't want none of it. You know, she's... She she's had enough of her father. She just knows what he's like, doesn't she? You know, and he's there. Oh, really proud of you tonight. And she's just like looking at him with this utter distaste. Um, but then 
sometimes is, is the colonoscopy as well a bit of, of red herring yes but is it also a bit of false hope where you think oh things might go his way after all he's going to wrangle himself out and then when he he loses the 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 auction or he, they win the auction he ends up with the stone again the gem and he's like oh. but then the the basketball player turns up and takes the stone again he's like still willing to buy it so he sells it to the basketball player and then he's like right we're going to do this parlay bet and he, he does this next extravagant bet with the loan sharks turning up and this final yeah act, i think like the 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 impetus for the final act right the catalyst where the exchange between um the basketball player and adam sandler and the basketball player actually sits there doesn't he and he actually asks him about why he is the way he is yeah you know and adam sandler offers this really sort of weak uh win at all cost explanation to him and you know, you can suddenly for a moment reflect on, on everything that, like, what, at the cost of uh, your family, your relationship with your children, your relationship with your wife, your relationship with your wife's family, with other friends, clients, like, basically everybody in your life. And that's the cost of winning, is it? You know? Yeah. And then he goes into this and then he's just, again, he's dodging the the loan sharks. He's trying to get the money out of the building without him seeing. Out through the window. And then he's just... He ends up hanging out the window. Yeah, and then he's just, boom, he's <laughs> on to this next r- ridiculous bet. And you're just like, oh, my Jesus Christ, it's never ending. Like, you know, I literally, at this point, I'm reeling because you, you know that because of the time frame, you must be getting towards the end of the film. But it's, it's just like it's just started all over again. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, my God, no. And then he locks the loan sharks in the uh, in the booth. Yeah. In the, the doorway, you know. And his missus has run off, or his mistress has run off and placed the bet to, with the help of that weird little guy with the helicopter. Yes. <laughs> yeah, what the hell was that all about? That <laughs> I just... think he's another non-actor. He's a bit like David Dickinson. With, uh, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> with, like, like, Elton John glasses and, I don't know, like, words of gummage hair it's just a weird little man wasn't he yeah like when when but, like when you first <laughs> meet him in the when she sat down and she's observing the game and that that other guy who you don't know who has no explanation that she sat with quite calmly talking who's trying to explain things and help her out yeah uh he comes over and speaks to her i was just like oh my god this guy's like quite creepy and rapey you know what i mean he's like <laughs> you know what i mean but he turns out yeah. to be a total, again, he's just like, no, that you're meant to think that. You know you're meant to think that. But he's actually like really decent and good and down to earth. Yeah, or she's got him around her finger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She as and, well, you know. And then it's just like, you're just being thrown all over the place. You don't know which way it's going. You don't know what to think. But when when the bet comes in, yeah, there's that that momentary elation isn't there you know what i mean it's just like oh my I know, god because and you're thinking well what can go wrong now he's got to be there because earlier on the bet came in but arno had been round to the bookkeepers and stopped the bet took the money hadn't he <laughs> yes yeah 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 of course and you just think well you know this time he's gotten pinned they can't do that now they're stuck in that little booth but you yeah. still think it can't go all his way can it it can't go and then when the bet comes in and Arno, he raises a smile. You see, he's like, 
almost happy. He's going to get his money. This is going to be over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. It's like, we've got our money. Don't lend him anything else. Cut him out of the family. Let it be someone else's problem. Happy days. But it's not meant to be. Those, you know, the uh, two or the big guy, the big hood. In a really, it's, it's shocking how it, comes about yeah because there's there's just no there's no dialogue leading up to there's it. no it just warning happens, doesn't it? he doesn't just... even he looks away from adam sandler and then just turns around yeah. and bang just shoots him in the face and then they shoot arno and then they just rob the place and it's yeah it's just chaos but the end of it's just petty petty robbery isn't it but then you know that's what it was right from the whole beginning you know, it's just uh, a whole vicious circle. Like people paying people pittance to dig and risk their lives in mines, full circle to people having, again, no respect for the value of life because it's like, what are you going to do? It's like, oh, I'm just going to shoot these two people in the head just to rub a few, you know, jewels out of a, out of a store. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And And that's it. You know, but I honestly, I don't know how you felt, but when Adam Sandler got shot in the head, I was actually relieved. <laughs> I know it is. It's like, oh, at least it's over. It's, it's like, <laughs> thank fuck for that. <laughs> it's almost a satisfactory ending, isn't it? In a, you don't want him to win. He shouldn't win. Like I said earlier, if he wins. It's just carrying on, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Nothing's ever going to change. You won't learn anything from it. I felt more upset that Arno was shot than Adam Sandler was shot. Yeah, yeah. Because Arno, at the end of the day, he's lent him the money, but he's just been trying to get his money back. It's it's his money. He's owed it, you know? Yeah. He's been played off. He's hired these two goons to help get the money back, and they've just fucked him. Yeah, and I think the goons have just, like... You know what is this? This is a joke. Like nobody, nobody uh, disrespects me like this and gets away with it. It's no longer about money; it's about face. You know, and it's just like, yeah, I've just had enough of this jerk. Like I don't even care about the money; it's not my money. But you just don't yeah, don't. There's deserve. enough fucking loot here that we can just yeah fuck off with all this money. And then you've also think that the girl's got all the cash from the winnings. Yeah. And she must be on her way over there, but it's never it's just the end of the film is just them looting the shop. So you don't know where she's going or whether she's going to come back to it or will she go back to the apartment? She'll probably go back to the apartment. I, so does she get the money in the end? I hope so, mate, because like ultimately other than doing a bit of coke with the weekend, I don't actually think she does anything wrong. She's true to him, isn't she? She she's that devoted to him. Yeah, yeah. She, she even gets her his name tattooed on her ass. Because there's a scene where he he's in the apartment waiting for her, and he's going to surprise her, and and uh, you know he's hiding in the in the wardrobe, and it's a classic setup for a scene where you think he's gonna think he's surprising oh, her, and he's, he's gonna, gonna catch her cheating. Yeah, he's gonna catch her being unfaithful or something, isn't it? And in actual fact, like. When he sends her a message, she's totally honest and responding and she's into him and, and it seems like there's a good energy and it's electric between them. 
But, you know, yeah. he's stringing her along because actually he's still eking out not being able to let go of his actual family. And it's he's just like... The one, yeah, he's the one who's using her yeah. because she's a younger model. And... I feel like she's... Yeah, the t- out of all of the people, she's the least toxic character, you know? Yeah. And I feel like she deserves the win. Definitely. But, yeah. Well, there you go. And if that was our first film analysed... Analyzed. <laughs> Felt a bit like that from the opening shot. We just it? analyzed a film that it starts, starts with, with a colonoscopy. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So yeah, would you recommend it, Nath? Mate. Not 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 colonoscopies. The uh, film. What would you rather recommend? A colonoscopy oh, right. or watching uncut gems? <laughs> right. I honestly think and i mean this from the bottom of my heart i would genuinely be more comfortable sitting next to a random stranger on the bus whilst he shows me overly personal graphic images of his (laughs) wife giving birth to their child (laughs) than watch this film but that said it is it is an enjoyable film i I have to be fair i think i've enjoyed discussing the film more with you than i did actually watching the film but it's if you're a film buff and you're actually watching film for the sake of appreciating what people are doing, I think it is a must-see. I think it's something you have to watch once, yeah, for sure. How about you? Well, I've watched it twice, and I'd probably watch it again, to be fair. I did. I really enjoyed it. Um, off of the back of this, I looked up what other films the Safdie brothers had done, and the very next day I watched a film called Good Time with Robert Patterson? Yes, yeah, I've seen that. That they made. Have you seen that? No, no, I've seen it like when I was doing oh, some research it. on the director, sorry. And I think that is very that's a hard watch as well, but still it's an enjoyable watch. It's just one night. And again, he's another character in that Robert Patterson is just not a very nice person. He's just in it for himself. Yeah. One of the Safty brothers actually plays his brother in it. Right. Um I don't know if it's Josh or Benny. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he's sort of like a a bit a mentally handicapped. He's not right, but Robert Patterson is just uses him. Um, it's a great, a really great film, but again, it's not pleasant viewing, but it's fantastically made. I'd be interested to see what they do next, really, myself. I think there's... There are definitely a couple of directors that I will be keeping an eye on in future. Yeah. It's, uh, when I was watching it, I did definitely okay. felt that this is a Trev film. Yeah, I do. Anything that gets in your head, winds you up, turns you off, you know, I really enjoy. So, Nath, thanks no. ever so much for joining me once again. Thanks no, for thank you, enduring man. the film. I really enjoyed it. And thanks everyone if you've listened and you're still here. Holla! Say, I'm still here at the end. <laughs> and then I'll believe you. <laughs> right, thanks ever so much and everyone, and we'll see you all soon. Chase. Chase. Chase.